Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, like welcome everybody back for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast. And we're talking cybersecurity today uh, and having the opportunity to have Bill Pulte, who is the Chief Information Officer at ESU3, join us along with Andy Bell, who is the Technology Analyst uh, at the NNNC. And these are two individuals who have been on the podcast before. We've talked about cybersecurity in the past. And so I would certainly encourage you to check out those past episodes for a little bit more of the deep dive in terms of the why, some things that are going on in the state, because we're going to focus today really on where that conversation is at this point in time, spring semester here, 2023, and also in the midst of the legislative session. Uh, And so I'm really grateful to Bill and to Andy for taking a little bit of time to help keep us all kind of up to date on what those conversations are. And so really what I'm going to do from the start, though, is in in the event that you don't go back and listen to all of those past episodes, we're going to frame this very briefly in terms of the history of this to date. Uh, And then we'll really focus the majority of our conversation today on what's going on currently and where the legislation could potentially help to help enhance what challenges might come with some of that. Uh, And so we'll dive into that later on. But uh, to start things off, uh, maybe I'll throw it to Bill here first. Frame the cybersecurity conversation at the moment in our state. Yeah, I mean, in the last 18 months, you know, we we talked uh, it was probably about 18 months ago, we really had an in-depth conversation and it, it was driven by uh, some insurance requirements. And I think that has kind of lit a fire in the state of Nebraska for us to really evaluate where we are and get not just technology leaders, but get superintendents involved in the conversation. And now we're seeing legislators involved in the conversation as well. And I love to see it primarily because, you know, we've got a pretty big investment in this state. And when people hear cybersecurity, they think a lot of ransomware, they think a lot of things that you see on the news and stuff like that. And those are important. We have a pretty large investment in this state in Network Nebraska, and then districts have large investments in in hardware and equipment and, and stuff like that. But one of the places that I think has been missed that has really come to the forefront as we've been doing this is just around um, privacy as well. You know, every district in the state has information on teachers, has social security numbers and personally identifiable information, but they also have that for students. You know, and you think of it from a student perspective, that can be pretty scary. If you've got a third grader whose identity is stolen, it might be 18 years before they realize their identity is stolen because those bad actors have now gone up and racked up, you know, how much bad credit card debt and and so many other things. And it's not even realized until that student goes to apply for a loan or apply for credit or whatever. And so, you know, we're really seeing this as a a double-edged sword around cybersecurity. And that is not just protecting our hardware, our physical investment, but also protecting our students and our staff as well. Gosh, and I even think, am I wrong to think too, that because I have children in a K-12 system, that my information is also attached to their accounts as the parent in this scenario? Yeah, it could be. You, I mean, you really got to think about what data is being collected when you fill out the forms at the beginning of the year, or when you register students or things like that. You really got to think about what data is being collected, not only on the student, but also on you. Because if that data is being collected, you can rest assured that it's being stored somewhere. And IT directors around the state are challenged with protecting that data every day. And they have been challenged with that for 30 years now, 25 years. 
But as we've seen an uptick in cybersecurity events, we're starting to see more and more IT directors who are saying, well, I'm nervous about this. I'm, I'm worried about making sure that, that I am protecting this data and that I'm doing what's right for students and staff. And so I think that has created a conversation around the state, which is a good conversation. Well, and one I know that Andy has also been uh, driving as well, advocating for us to continue to try to enhance our cybersecurity efforts. And so, uh, Andy, how would you build upon what uh, Bill has sort of established for us here for those that are maybe new to this conversation? Yeah, Bill laid it out in the history really, really well. The insurance aspect of things, ironically, was the the one thing that really lit a fire in the world of education. Uh, sometimes it's the money that is the driving factor of a lot of this. Uh, but it was a good thing because it got the conversations going and allowed us to talk more openly. Cybersecurity is not a new concept. Being proactive about it in some cases is kind of a new concept because it's always historically been it's somebody else's problem. It never happens to us. We're so small. You know, why would anybody go after our poor little school in our tiny little town in the middle of nowhere? And what we're finding is that that's not the case. The the people that are out there attacking, they don't care where you are. A lot of times they just randomly pick an address and they go for it and they see what they can get. You know, they may have 15,000 emails that get sent out and two of them actually people click on, but those two can yield something really, really big. So anyway, we are now in a situation where we have some momentum going. We're really trying to move forward with it. Uh, seeing things move at the the state level, I think it is an amazing step uh, and relatively quick, in my opinion, from where it all kind of started. Uh, so I'm really happy to see where we're going with that. Yeah. And I think that really segues nicely into maybe an opportunity for each of you to share a little bit about what's going on regionally in the sphere of influence and impact that you have. I know collectively across the state, because uh, our ESUs collaborate and have conversations all the time, uh, but maybe um, it's worth noting on any topic that we share out on, uh, there are uh, people doing great work in their local and regional context. That doesn't necessarily mean that that is better or worse or comparative to other places in the state. Oftentimes it's just that's what suits the districts and that part uh, that everyone is responsible for. And so um, we'll throw that disclaimer up there and then we'll say, Bill, what's going on in ESU 3 region? Yeah, so uh, I agree. I think what you said is perfect. ESU 3 supports 18 school districts, and we've got uh, our largest school district, of course, Millard Public Schools at you know over 24,000 students. And then our, our smallest district is, is Weeping Water at a, a few hundred students. And so what is available to those districts looks different sometimes. And so we, we recognize that. I think the insurance company piece helped us recognize that. And we just made it our goal, and we met with our districts and said, hey, we want to do what's right for all districts. And and we've been blessed in the ESU 3 area because our larger districts, Millard and Elkhorn and Papillion La Vista, have said, hey, if this is good for us, we want to help the other districts as well. And so that's allowed us to do some consortium purchasing around different things and, and allowed us to get pricing for the smaller districts at the same price that the larger districts are going to get it. But the other thing we've tried to do is we realize that the problem with the alley cap survey is that the alley cap survey was binary based in that they asked a question, do you use multi-factor authentication? And it was just yes or no. And there was no, uh, that it's such a subtle subject from the standpoint of, do you use multi-factor on every system? Do you use it just on email? There's so many different pieces in here. And so 
one of the things that I was able to do a year ago was hire a cybersecurity officer. We had somebody leave and we decided to not replace that position and pass that work around the department and then hire a cybersecurity person. And and so he's been working primarily on, okay, how do we take something like what Alicap did and make it more of a rubric, have a, a scoring one through four. And we just last month got to the point where we got to roll that out for our districts. And I don't think that what we rolled out for our district is going to be something that is ongoing from the standpoint that every question is going to look the same next year, but it's a starting point for us. And it's going to give us the opportunity to, so all our districts did this self-assessment and now they're going to be able to look at the average score across the district. And then we're going to be able to give them their score, right? So the first question is, do you have multi-factor authentication on email? And a one is no, a two is yes for some staff. A three is yes for all staff, and a four is yes for all staff, and students are in a walled garden, right? So you might have put a two, and the average for all ESU three districts is a 2.7. Well, that will tell you very quickly, okay, I'm here. The other districts are here. How do I get to three? How do I get my district so I'm above the average? You know, it's that, it's that idea that we should always be progressing to the next level, which is it speaks to educators. You know, when we rolled it, when we show this to principals, I think they're going to see this and it's not going to be like the alley cap where it was just, you're good or you're bad. It's going to be a, it's going to show them that, Hey, this is where you are. Not good, not bad. This is where the other districts are. Not good, not bad. This is where you can work to get to. And, and on the flip side, they're going to be able to say, Hey, I'm a three and the average is 2.7. We, we've got several situations like that too. So, hey, I'm a little bit ahead is going to be a good feeling for those districts. And so that's been our work this winter. We're working on now bringing all that data back in and, and kind of scrubbing it and looking at it. The other thing we ask districts is, what do you think is the most important? Um, the rubric we used had 19 questions on it. And we just said to districts, what do you think is the most important? Because that was one of the problems with what Alicap asked, Alicap did this in such a way that they gave a ton of weight to certain things that districts were doing and no weight to other things. And we just didn't feel like that was right. We felt like the people working in the district should be able to, to set those weights to some degree. That is the blessing then that comes with getting a little bit more data and a little bit more knowledge and looking for a little bit more of a nuanced conversation. And so I'm grateful to hear that that's going on in the ESU3 region. And I know, Andy, um, you're probably having similar conversations, uh, but uh, what does that look like for, and maybe even explain NNNC to folks that aren't familiar with what region of the state that encompasses? Sure. The NNNC is an acronym that stands for the Northeast Nebraska Network Consortium. Uh, we were a consortium created uh, like 25 years ago before Network Nebraska to allow the Northeastern Nebraska schools to pool their resources together to get cheaper internet. Um, now that Network Nebraska is there and all of our schools and ESUs are part of that, we still maintain the consortium. And about eight years ago, they decided rather than paying a consultant to do the work that was benefiting the consortium schools, they ended up uh, creating a position and that's the role that I have today. So that's how I got there. It's kind of a unique role because I'm the only employee and I have like 10 bosses. So, but it works. And I like the environment that I'm in and I couldn't be happier. 
one of the nice things about this is that it gives me the ability to look at problems that not only our schools are facing, but our ESUs are facing, but multiple schools and ESUs. I can see it from a regional perspective. So I'm slightly removed from the day-to-day, -day, like helping a kindergartner print type of issue, but I do see that, okay, we still have the same type of problems that everyone's trying to solve. And that's where I jumped in. And I saw my duty switched over the last few years. I went from more of the single sign-on project, uh, getting on with Nebraska Cloud, to now uh, focusing more on network security, entering into the cybersecurity realm. And so one of the things, like what Bill was saying, you can go through and create the rubric and evaluate the districts that are underneath your wing. So I was, am able to take a look at this and say, all right, I see what ESU 7 is doing and what ESU 1 is doing and ESU 2. And we have such overlap that, hey, we should pool our resources together and we should look at it from this perspective. And the nice part is, is once you start taking off that hat from a single ESU perspective and even looking at just two ESUs, it's really easy to expand it to a lot more. And so one of the things that we were able to do over the summer, we created a couple of different groups that allowed us to go even a little bit further beyond that. And so it started off as the K-12 Cybersecurity Task Force. And by the end of the first meeting, we were now the K-20 Cybersecurity Task Force. And what this does, this is attempt to represent all of education in Nebraska. So we're talking every entity in the K-12 region, uh, public, private, large schools, small schools, ESUs, as well as all post-secondary. And so we have representation from the university system, the state college system, community colleges, private colleges, tribal colleges. I should say we have openings for some representatives in those areas, but we are trying to fill those up. And we all sit here on one side of the table. On the other side of the table, we have representatives from all the agencies that want to help out education with cybersecurity. So we have a representative from the FBI. We have one or two representatives from Department of Homeland Security, the Nebraska State Patrol, Alicap Insurance is there, Network Nebraska, the State uh, Office of the CIO, Department of Education. We even have a spot for a private citizen in there so we can get that. That was one of our ways of still trying to milk some knowledge out of Tom Rolfus uh, with his new position. The Nebraska Emergency Management Organization as well, or they're all invited. And, and so what we do is we have an opportunity for each of these agencies to be able to share what they are doing to help out with uh, cybersecurity with our schools. And it's a one-stop shop. Everyone gets an opportunity to say, hey, here's the latest, greatest thing. We've gotten some reports from Department of Homeland Security talking about take the NCSR or here's the latest threat from this area. And then the responsibility for the educators are that we're supposed to go and share it in our respective channels to try to get the word out. And this is all brand new. And so you may be hearing this podcast and be like, I've never heard of this group. I've never heard of any of the information. Yeah, we're still working on trying to get all the channels out there. But that's the goal. We want to have a one-stop shop. And we also want to be able to communicate from the education standpoint onto the non-education to be like, hey, here's what we're doing. Are we on the right track? And what do you see? And so we get a chance to hear. Here's like the university system has group buys going on. They've opened it up to K-12 able to get extend some discounts and group group purchasing that way. And also seeing, hey, we have other entities in the state locally that are doing some great things that K-12 hasn't even thought about yet. And 
that gives us a, a game plan of saying, hey, maybe the next step is we can try this or try that. And it's been a great uh, experience for us. Well, a couple of things come to mind as I pull both of those examples together. And it's one, I'm just always proud of our ESUs for uh, the role that they play in bringing multiple districts together as Bill was capturing with what's going on at ESU3. Uh, and then Andy, just thinking about the education community broadly, right? And whether that's you know in the Northeast region or wherever it's at in our state, that there are folks coming together. And I, I love that uh, it's bringing in multiple stakeholders. So that there's just conversation and new knowledge being shared and an awareness that comes with that. And and in hearing those stories, I understand this to be a topic that is of interest enough to where it has made its way, not surprisingly, into the legislative session. Uh, and so uh, there are a few bills that we yeah, would just like to maybe speak to a little bit, I think, over the course of today's podcast, really is an opportunity to just better understand what those bring and to think about what that might mean for some of these efforts, should those end up uh, making its way to the floor and, and beyond. Yeah, I mean, if I was going to jump in, uh, absolutely two bills that we're watching very closely, LB 651, which has a, a quite a bit of funding for it, but it's not just for schools, it's for all political organizations, I think is the term. Andy might remember the term that they use a little bit differently, but there's money for cities and localities, but also for some school districts, things like that. And I think it's a great bill just from the standpoint, I got an opportunity to meet with Ed Toner, who's the uh, chief information officer for the state of Nebraska. And I think he has some great ideas about, okay, how do we get everybody to a baseline? How do we guarantee that every district out there is using updated servers and updated network equipment and all that kind of stuff. You know, how do we put stop gaps in place for things like that? And I think LB 651 could absolutely be an avenue for some of that to happen. And then the other one, I had the ability to testify on LB 638. LB 638 is more designed just for school districts. The fiscal note in it is probably a little lower than we would like. But we're also still trying to figure out how how this could play with LB 651 and what this looks like over time. But essentially, this would give the ability to create some of these groups throughout the state. For instance, one of the things that LB 638 calls for is an, an incident response team. So if a district does have a problem, we would have people across the state who could go in and assess the situation and make some recommendations and determine next steps. When that happens, the insurance company usually has groups that go in. FBI, Homeland Security have groups that go in. But I think it's good to have an education-based group as well. And I was presenting some of this at a nearby state. I won't call out any of the districts, but the nearby state gave me a story that a district got hit with ransomware. And within three days, six other districts we're seeing that exact same ransomware in their district. And the reason is is pretty simple, right? Districts share systems. They use the same types of systems, even if they're not sharing a system. But one of the big glaring things is when malware comes in on email, if it's coming in from somebody you don't recognize, it's very easy to say, oh, this is bad. I don't need this. But if one district gets hit and you're now able to use some of that information to send emails out to other districts, it's more likely that people are going to click on those links. And, and so protecting one district might protect six, seven, eight, 200 districts. And so I think some of that work in LB 638 is good work. 
But again, you know, funding is always going to be the tough part. There's probably never going to be enough money to guarantee security, but anything we can do, I think is going to help. You know, I said earlier, things are happening in pockets around the state. Well, how do we take that and systematize it so that um, things aren't happening in pockets anymore, but they're actually happening universally uh, across the state? And, and I do want to point out, I, I think the work that we're doing for public schools is great, but at ESU3, and I think everywhere across the state, people would agree with this, it's also important to make sure all our students are protected, right? Uh, the the private uh, schools need some of this protection as well. And, and so just guaranteeing that we're doing what's best for all students across the state is one of the main goals, at least for me here at ESU3. Uh, Andy, anything to add? Uh, yeah, I, Bill said it right there. I mean, even though we have our own respective geographic regions, uh, everyone that's in this game right now has the best interest of all students in mind. And we're willing to work together. And that's the amazing thing about it. Bill talked about a meeting uh, a few weeks ago where he collected some data. He opened that up to other ESUs to be able to send a representative to. That is not unheard of, but it doesn't happen very often. And it's starting to happen a lot more frequently uh, because we're not here to just say, hey, we're the best. We're here to say, we have devoted some resources and some time to this. We want to share it so that you could take it and expand upon it and make it better and use it. Because as you said, if one district gets hit, there's a chance that that can trickle over to other districts. And so we might as well protect in the exact same way. If ESU three is protecting all their districts and he can share what they're doing with other ESUs that inherently makes his own districts more safe while still making the rest of the state safe. Um, little side story here. A few weeks ago, we had some schools receive some phishing emails. Turned out that it was from a compromised school on the East Coast. And somehow they got a bunch of email addresses for schools in Nebraska. And so we just did the same thing. We forwarded that on to their technology department and they went ahead and took care of the issue. You know, and it was one of those things that they were very appreciative to get the information to be able to stop it. Haven't heard anything since from that, but we haven't got any more emails. So it's a nationwide thing, but we can't fix the nation. We can barely, so let's, let's focus on the state. And that's what we're doing. And we're making some great progress. And with the legislative bills, you know, with LB 638, that one there, I, I think, has a pretty good shot of having some impact. We had some discussions. Every ESU indirectly actually contributed to the, the wording uh, and the idea of that bill. And its intent is to not just have some person sitting here saying, here's a great policy to implement. Now you figure out how to do it. It is, hey, we're going to build a trust relationship with each of our districts and each of our ESUs. And we're going to actually be able to assist. You know me on a personal basis. You trust me. We can go in and we can do this. And that's what we need to be able to do this. Now, the question is, I mean, would it be easier if we had one person in every district that could be dedicated to this? Of course. But you know, to Bill's note there, I don't know if Weeping Water needs to have a dedicated cybersecurity person with that, Millard might need to, you know, but uh, if we can average it all out and say, hey, we're gonna have one person here to service so many school districts or so many ESUs, uh, that's a great start. And then from there, we can easily evaluate and see, uh, do we have too many people? Do we have not enough people? And, and also see what the landscape is looking like. Because unfortunately, cybersecurity changes like every hour. I think since we started our conversation, it's changed already. And we need to stay on top of things. And that's what a lot of our efforts really are, is that and sharing and communicating and just trying to take a holistic approach to it. 
Well, and that's why I appreciate the opportunity to have the two of you back on to keep us posted because it does evolve over time and the efforts have evolved as well. And and it's good to stay posted on the the conversations that are going on in the legislation as well. Gosh, maybe as we kind of wind to a close here a little bit, I think it's worth pointing out that there is likely, so let's say that a task team for the state were to be assembled, right? Let's just say that in an ideal situation, the funding lands, maybe not one at Weeping Water and everywhere, but generally speaking for what we would say an ideal scenario for the moment would be for us to be able to be supportive. There's a proactive and a little bit of a reactive element to this, right? And and so maybe getting into a little bit of that nuance about, because as a listener, you might ask, well, what are, what are these individuals going to do? Explain to me that need, uh, I think would be something worth highlighting as we kind of advocate for the resources to be able to do that. Well, I, for me, I, I would use the example of Sean, who we hired last year as our cybersecurity person. And I think you're right. I think a lot of what he's done over the last year has been more of that proactive stuff. Um, he's made a lot of recommendations about things that we should be doing as an ESU, but things that maybe districts should be doing. A service that we provide for all 18 of our districts is, and the listeners may not realize this, but Homeland Security provides scans for pretty much anybody who wants them. And so we have all of our 18 districts networks are scanned weekly and we get a report and then we put that report into a dashboard for our districts and they can go in and look. And one of Sean's missions has been to look at that dashboard weekly and say, hey, this new thing popped up. Here's a way you can fix this, you know, or we noticed that this this is a low probability, but it's been sitting out there for a few months. Here's something you can think about with doing it. So proactively, I think that's going to be a big piece. And then reactively, I think Andy was talking about when an event does happen, what does this look like? Our goal would be that if we get the right items in place and the right people in place, we'll never have an incident in this state. But you you can't count on that. I think you gotta you gotta plan for the worst in situations like this as well. Uh, and to follow up with that, yeah, there's around the state. I mean, I I know of uh, those with those Department of Homeland Security scans. Every issue takes those very seriously, and they all address it in their own way. Some of it will the the ESUs will contract with the districts and they'll fix it on their behalf. Others uh, they will just recommend. It all depends on what the skill level of the district is what the relationship between the district and the ESU is, but it is a resource that's out there. And I'm pretty sure that everyone around the state is taking advantage of, of those types of reports. But it goes back to that is the big thing that we're trying to do is balance the proactive and the reactive thing. It's kind of like a fire department. You can have all the fire prevention you want out there. Every community still has a fire department because it's inevitable. And that's kind of right now, the ESUs are that thing. If, if a district wonders, Am I getting hit? Am I having a, a computer security incident? In most cases, their first call is the ESU to be, hey, can you help me? Am I seeing this right? Is this really what's happening? And the ESU is basically going to be the first boots on the ground, either over the phone, digitally or, or in person to help out. And that's where the ESUs, I think, are a great landing point to be able to try to aggregate a team to be able to assist with that. And so the work that Sean has done has been great. I, I work with Sean on a, a regular basis. Super great guy. And I can't wait just to see how this all progresses over the, the years. But we are an ad hoc team. I mean, there's a handful of us that are kind of an ad hoc team already throughout the state. And we're all trying to uh, help out. So regardless of what happens with the legislative bills, we're going to keep doing the best that we can 
638 makes it all the way through and make our jobs a little bit easier to make it all happen. But um, that's, that, that's the goal. And I, I think that uh, whatever ends up happening with these things, we're pushing forward and we're going to do the best that we can with the resources that we have uh, to continue to protect uh, and defend our districts. Well, I uh, guess then I would just bring things to a close and say thank you both for giving us an update. And as the conversation continues to evolve, keep us in mind, as I'm sure the listeners really appreciate the periodic check-in to know, because this is a really important topic and something that I would encourage folks to continue to follow and and advocate for. Like uh, Andy was just sharing there, you know, there are a lot of really good things going on and, and to go from good to great would be to be able to have some additional funding to uh, support that in both the proactive and reactive spaces as we just kind of summarize those those last few points. So thank you both so much for your time uh, and for all your advocacy in this really important space. Thank you. Uh, this is a great platform, Andrew. Always fun getting a chance to chat. Yeah.